Greetings and welcome back to the Clarity Podcast. So excited to have our friend Dick Foth with us back with a session of Back Channel with Foth. And then we're going to jump into our interview with Susie Larson on her book, Strong in Battle. Dick, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks a million, Aaron. So good to see you again. Dick and I got to actually spend some time face-to-face um, in person in D.C. this summer, and uh, that's where two of these questions come from. These Normally, they're not my questions, um, but these are two I had from him uh, after his message, and I thought I would ask him um, here today. So, Dick, recently heard you share a message on patience, and uh, in that message, you shared that patience was a, a tougher subject for you. Could you share some of the reasons patience is a challenge um, for leaders and maybe people that aren't leaders? I can't speak for all leaders. All that I can speak to, or, you know, I I might speak for some, but I, um, I find patience as a challenge because I have so little of it. Hmm. And, and, (laughs) and part of that's personality, you know, when you're a, let's say a type A personality, and some of the folks listening are triple A's, right? Um, We want to get on with it. You know, let's get this done, get on to the next thing. But what's interesting is that patience, especially in the New Testament, in the the writings and the reading of Jesus and the reading of Paul and Peter and so forth, um, what I sense in them is that patience comes because one, the work of the Spirit in one's life, i.e. the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, but also the fact that they have a large view. They Mm. have a long view and a large view of what's going on here. And um, I just think that that when we, let me just read a scripture if I could. Sure. Um, James, the younger brother, half-brother of Jesus, writes to these folks who are under pressure. They're in places often like our listeners are, where they're feeling pressure all the time. And he challenges them this way in James 5, 7, and 8, toward the end of his little letter. Meanwhile, friends, wait patiently for the master's arrival. That's the long view. You see farmers do this all the time, waiting for their valuable crops to mature, patiently letting the rain do its slow but sure work. Be patient like that. Stay steady and strong. The master could arrive at any time. Now I'm reading from Eugene Peterson's The Message, and I don't often use his his word, but I love how he frames it in contemporary language. Mm-hmm. So I think that's the that's a core idea behind patience. And it's hard for me because I'm not one, I'm not built that way. But as I age, I'm I'm learning. Yeah, <laughs> maybe it's about getting closer to the master's arrival. I don't know. At the same time, Dick, you've spent the majority of your life investing in things that take patience, right? You've been involved in ministry because there's not very immediate results. Maybe people may be raising their hand and giving their, their life to Jesus. But discipleship, there's not immediate results. Being, I would imagine being a president of a college, uh, you had to have patience because you're investing in students that you're not going to necessarily see their the growth in their lives for a certain amount of time, right. but yeah. you've had to have, you've had to have some patience because you spent the majority of your life investing in people. Was that correct or incorrect? No, I think that's, I think that's right. And I think that, that the, that the challenges for us in this is that we live in an on-demand high-speed world, whether mm-hmm. that's in some place that 
folks are that they're listening or someplace in the college presidency. And we're removed from the slowness, the, the planting process and all of that. If in fact, we use the model, and here I always engage with Ruth's model, if in fact, we use the model of gardening. Hmm. Uh, and he's, James is using farming, but gardening is the essence of farming. Um, you have to be patient. You, yeah. you can't, you can't push it. Uh, I asked Ruth, give me a quote on patience, her quote. And uh, because she is a patient person. And she said, a quiet spirit that isn't upset easily. I'm quoting here. Mm. It, one who takes time to listen and senses the mood of the other person and what they might need. Mm. I remember sitting with the former chaplain of the U.S. Senate, Richard Howison, years ago, when I first went to D.C. in 93. And we were talking and I said, you know, you're investing in these people one-on-one -on -one behind the scenes forever. And um, what if you don't see results? What is that? And his comment to me was, I am not responsible for outcomes. Yeah. I'm responsible for inputs. And of course, again, folks listening oftentimes feel the pressure of the reports and yeah. all this kind of stuff. But that's, yeah. um, that's something we just have to live with. Yeah. Could you share the story of Ruth you shared in your message about, and you had a picture, we obviously, it's an audio podcast, we're not going to get to see the picture, um, but sure. you shared about something Ruth had done for your grandchildren, and then kind of some results of that patience over time. You bet. The um, Let me just make this observation about patience, and that is that, as you read James, patience and perseverance are at least cousins, maybe mm. siblings. And <laughs> And so I asked the question, I asked this question of Ruth, what are the things that count in life that take patience and perseverance? Hmm. And uh, Ruth is very quiet of demeanor, but sometimes she comes on to me strong and she said, uh, that's the wrong question. I said, what do you mean? She said, what are the things that really count in life that don't take patience hmm. or hmm. perseverance? Hmm. I mean, just use friendship as an example. Yeah. The, you know, friendships don't work without patience. So anyway, Ruth um, has this, has created this habit over the years of writing the grandchildren um, once a month. Yeah. And she will get some corny joke off the internet, some riddle, some uplifting statement. She doesn't preach at the grandkids, but she might have a verse. She might have something. And, and she also finds out what they're doing and then uh, poses questions about what are your, who won this prize and who took this trip and, you know, that sort of thing. And she includes a $5 bill, so they open the letter. So <laughs> it's a snail mail, which they are not used to getting. So that's one unique thing. Yeah. Anyway, long story short, back the in early part of July, they, the whole family gathered to celebrate Ruth's upcoming birthday. And uh, she knew they were coming. Everybody was here. But one morning, they all got up. This had been arranged. And some friends had created a high tea brunch for Ruth. And so I took her over there on a pretext of taking pictures. She said, why are we going over there to take pictures? I said, well, it's a lovely house. And anyway, we walk in. And here are, the 12, here are 12 grandchildren from age 30 to age 6. Wow. And they surprise her in the hallway. We have high tea. Sit down. And each of them, uh, arranged by these folks, brought her a rose hmm. and sat down and said something to her and then gave her a letter that they had written. Yeah. 
uh, detailing what they loved about her. And each letter had a $5 bill in it. Wow. And she stashed the money. I'm looking for it. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but the next morning I walk in and she's sitting up in the bed reading through these letters yeah. and tears are streaming down her face. Yeah. And she, and she is so patient. She's been so patient with them over the years. She yeah. would sit on the floor and play games with them. And I'm out changing the whole world. Right. <laughs> and she's changing the important world. Mm. And, and that came to fruition, at least yeah. in one form as she's reading these letters and she's just, she's just saying, this is all I ever wanted. Yeah. And I'm standing there beside her saying like, what am I chocolate? <laughs> <laughs> anyway. It was, a great uh, it was a power, powerful illustration um, in the message. And uh, yeah, I just wanted to ask those two questions to you today. It's always gold to spend some time with you, Dick. We're going to go ahead and jump into our interview with uh, Susie Larson, our owner book, Strong in Battle. Just encourage you guys as we fight, fight the battle against our enemy. Um, well, there's no time better than now to get started. So here we go. Greetings and welcome back to the Clarity Podcast. So excited to have our friend of the podcast, Susie Larson, with us again today. Welcome back. Always an honor to join you, Aaron. Thanks for having me. Yeah, well, it's just, uh, we were just sharing before I hit record about your new book, Strong in Battle, and uh, just how it's been a blessing to my wife and I, and uh, so looking forward to talking about it um, today. So we just share a, a few minutes about yourself, Susie, for those maybe who haven't listened in to the first few podcasts we've done together. Sure. Uh, I'll tell you. Let's see. I've been married 37 years to an oak of righteousness man of God. He's just an amazing. We've grown together. You know, we've had our twists and turns as anybody, but we are really, in, you know, in a season where we are so expectant of the greatness of God. And we awesome. really feel like he, he, he had cancer 20 years ago. I've battled Lyme. So we've had our pretty significant challenges, but we really are going from strength to strength, glory to glory. Like we are developing an appetite for the impossible and we have a very active prayer life together. He's a commercial construction manager by day. So he okay. builds like sports stadiums and hospitals. He's, he wow. oversees major projects. And then he runs the ministry for us. And then we don't, when I speak, we don't, we don't travel apart. We, so if he can't go, I don't go. Okay. We just feel like we want to protect our marriage. And yeah. we just started, it was probably 10, 15 years ago. When things were, you know, starting to happen, we noticed that often, I'm not dissing women who have to travel without right. their husbands, but we just noticed a breakdown yep. and almost a weird inequity. If the mm. woman's on the stage all the time and the husband's back at home, there was something about it that for us didn't feel right. So yeah. I'm, I'm a radio host and a writer, and I would say a speaker third. Like I keep that oh. on the short leash because we both have full-time jobs. I work in radio, he works in construction. So we probably say no more than we say yes, but when we're on the road, we're on the road together. So I probably speak at 10 to 15 events a year. And that's, oh. I would like that to back down even more personally. Whew. And yeah. uh, But my work in radio, I, I really do love. I have a daily talk show and a few other you know, media initiatives and uh, it's just deeper life conversation. So in that case, Aaron, I'm on the other side of the microphone. I'm yeah. interviewing other leaders, <laughs> um, but I get to, I'm an introvert and I love to read and I'm reading, um, you know, 50 to 75% of a book, every new book every day. Oh to my prepare, Yeah. To prepare for these interviews, which, you know, for an introvert, it's a dream. I get books sent to me all day long. <laughs> I'm reading these books, digging in, and then doing deeper life conversations. So wow. I, I finally love that. Uh, we have three grown sons who are all married, and we just adore these kids and our their wives and three little grandchildren. And we're believing God for more. One of our sons has some 
has battled infertility for about six, seven years, and it's been very heartbreaking, but uh, mm. we're believe God for some breakthrough there. But uh, yeah, and I and I continue to have, you know, daily health challenges uh, that, but God, again, has done such a deep work inside of me that it's becoming almost more irrelevant to me because, mm. uh, you know, in our weakness, he's strong. So um, something's yeah. rising up within us in this hour, and I feel like it needs to, you know. Amen. Amen. Well, I wanted to begin. Um, one of the things as I was reading the book that just jumped out to me was this this idea you share about feeling like Jonah and picking a fight with the enemy and putting yourself in, in the line of fire. And I, that resonated so much with me because the majority of the audience that listens in are missionaries serving around the world. And when you go into some dark places, you you feel like you're picking a battle. And, um, and then you share about your faith declaration. Can you just share a little bit of that about feeling like Jonah and then your faith declaration? Yeah, I think I said something like I have to slay my inner sissy about five times. <laughs> you know, people think I'm so feisty, and I am feisty, and I am a fighter, but I will get knocked on my bum, I'll break down mm. and cry, and I come up swinging. That seems to mm. be my mode of operation. But the idea for this book kind of, you know, kind of started to rise up a number of years ago, but I'm like, I can't do it. I mm. you know, just all stuff. It was, you know, neurological Lyme stuff is so, so horrendous that I'm like, mm. like, Lord, I mean, someone could, you know, sneeze on me and I feel like I'd get knocked over and I just yeah. can't do it. My editor was so patient and he's like, I want this book. I want this book. I'm like, I want to write it, but I, I don't, you know, I wish I could, but I don't want to. And I had this tension and eventually then it became time where I couldn't not, you know, if yeah. I love and fear God, I couldn't not do it. And, uh, and he so took care of me. And so mm. I, I just honor every missionary who puts themselves in the line of fire because you do that. You know, yeah. you can either be a spectator and criticize how others are doing it, or you get on the field and yeah. put your hand to the things God has given you, and he gives you the grace and the power to do it. Amen. So, yeah, Amen. so the faith declaration, uh, I'm going to, if you don't mind, Aaron, I'm going to share it, but then I want to break it down a little yeah. bit as far as I just, because I'm a visual person, and again, sure. as someone overcome a lot with fear and health challenges, here's the, here's the declaration. As a citizen of the heavenly kingdom, an heir of God, a joint heir with Christ, filled with the spirit of the living God. I speak with precision. I pray with power. I walk in authority. I'm anointed and appointed, blessed and beloved, called and courageous. Uh, because I know God is with me, I will triumph over my enemy and I will stand with Jesus on that final day. And and, and again, as someone who, you know, one day I feel strong and the next day I feel like I'm cowering under his wing. When you take that first line, as a citizen of the heavenly kingdom, I get the visual of me stepping out of the shadows or out of the spectator role and stepping onto the stage where he you know, wants us to serve or whatever, yes. that field, the mission field, whatever. Right. But all the light is shining on you. I want you just to picture this for yourself. As a citizen of the heavenly kingdom, like you step into the powerful light because we've been transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. And there's no lack in the kingdom. There's no uh, diminishing of his power in the kingdom. It's like everything he has is ours. So I picture myself stepping into the fullness of what that means. The next line is an heir of God. As soon as I say that, I picture the father coming up next to me, wrapping me up in a hug and kissing the top of my head, like being yeah. my Abba. And hmm. I can't tell you what that means to me. So I, I'm a citizen of the kingdom. So I'm hmm. part of the and I'm part of the family of God, but I have an Abba who's yeah. also a righteous judge. So I'm an heir of God, but I just see his affection wrapping me up and, you know, and I just sit with that for a moment. So I'm an heir of God and then a joint heir with Christ. And while God's embracing me, I see Jesus come to my other side, flanking me and wrapping him. So I'm in a sandwich hug, you know, <laughs> the, the Savior is my brother and he's my yeah. king. And he's stepping in and I'm I'm flanked 
you know, by these two persons of the Trinity, you know, filled with the spirit of the living God. I just see the Holy Spirit coming and just swirling and enveloping us with power. And suddenly my confidence in God just rises because remember who, that I'm more spiritual than physical. When I step into the knowledge of who I am and then together in sync with the power of the Holy Spirit, I speak with precision. I pray with power. I walk in authority. I'm anointed and appointed. And you can make a biblical case for every line in this declaration. But when I speak that over myself, I just remember that, you know, he's given us these very great and precious promises so we can participate in the divine nature. And uh, so that's where that declaration came from. And for me, it, it really does help me to just kind of set my gaze on the Lord and that my strength comes from him. And is that something you pray throughout the day? Is that something you use pray in the morning? Or is that something is the Holy Spirit brings to your mind? Or how how does that integrate into your everyday life? That's a good question. I as as needed, you know, it's kind of like B vitamins. You take them, <laughs> you can take them a few times throughout the day. Uh, but I, you know, I just as I need it. When I start to feel knocked off my game or a little battered by the enemy. I just rise up and remember, you know, who I am. And, you know, that's one thing the Israelites, you know, they had a lot of air amnesia. They forgot uh, who God was that, and in consequence, they forgot who they were. And, you know, one of the one of the first steps that they took um, that caused their hearts, they stopped listening. You know, their hearts turned away and they weren't listening to him. You can only listen to one voice at a time. They stopped listening and prioritizing his voice. And it says, as a consequence, their hearts grew hard. And, you know, you can... Think of that as people who are just down and out rebellious and listening to contrary voices. But you can be prone to wander as a sincere follower and be listening to, you know, be giving airtime to the enemy. Yeah. And you do that long enough, your heart will harden and you will yeah. drift. And suddenly, as I say in the book, you'll accuse God of things he's not guilty of. You know, hmm. when we're in these trials and storms, you always have an opportunity. Do I accuse God or do I trust him? And I think yeah. that is really center of this, the message in this book is we have got to learn to trust him and remember who he is. For sure. For sure. So let's go there. So the trusting him or accusing him, how can you give us some wisdom on that, Susie? Yeah. You know, again, I learned from all my mistakes, so I'll just put myself <laughs> out there. <laughs> yeah. You know, I love somebody who wrote a review on this book said, Susie clearly is not reading this out of another book. She's lived it in the, yeah. in the deepest valleys of the shadow. And that's true. I wrestled, wrestled. These are hard truths for me. Um, anyway, so I don't remember if I shared this last time I was on with you, but um, a year ago, um, the, the relapse, I mean, I had a terrible relapse of Lyme seven years ago, but it was combined with a mold toxicity that attacked my brain. And as a hmm. live talk host and an author, you need your words. And it was yeah. affecting word find. I was choosing wrong words. My tongue was going numb. I was forgetting really basic things that I should remember. And uh, it was horrifying. And my whole face would go numb. I felt like ice picks were in my ears, just the, the TMJ and the ringing in my ears and the pressure in my head. And then my heart started to beat out of rhythm, really scary, and would shoot numbing up into my neck and jaw that felt like a stroke oh, and it was on and off and it, it was so so horrendous that um hmm. i at one point said you either have to kill me or heal me because i i can't i don't have the mental bandwidth to survive this and um and i remember um i had alan jackson on if you never heard him if you could ever get him on your show man he's one of a regular on my show but he's an author not the country singer but he's great <laughs> I'm, not, not I'm, he, I'm sure he's awesome but alan jackson the author and pastor <laughs> To me, one of the most humble, wise, prophetic voices today, where he really discerns the times. 
and he knows what to do. And I wrote about this, I think, in one of the latter chapters of this book where I had him on. And I always open up my show with, you know, what's the Lord been talking to you about these days? And he was talking about Paul going before Agrippa. And here he said, Paul had suffered this injustice. And instead of, you know, shaking his fist at the injustice, he looked at it as an opportunity to share the gospel. God put him before King Agrippa. And so he says, yeah, Agrippa is sitting here with one of the best evangelists of all time. And, and Paul presents the gospel basically to him. And in so many words, Agrippa says, you've almost persuaded me to become a Christian. Mm-hmm. And Alan had said, you know, it, it made me wonder what things am I almost persuaded about that God has actually clarified clearly in his word. Am I wavering between two opinions? And if you could hear that interview, my voice cracked and it took all of my restraint not to break down and sob because I I was wavering between two opinions because, you know, and we've talked about my other book, Fully Alive, one of my older books on healing. And it is such a hot topic because Hmm. godly people get sick and die. But because that's true, some people throw out any kind of you know, contending for healing. They throw it out because it's like, it's up for grabs and whatever happens. And I don't believe that either. Mm. But as someone who's lived it, I've had to wrestle in the tension. When your own body, it feels like it's warring against you to hang on to faith while you've got people saying, you know, what's wrong with your faith? Why aren't you healed? And others going, well, only if it's his will. And, you know, I was wavering. And and in that wavering, I was, you know, it's like when you start to listen to other voices, your heart gets hard. I didn't realize that I I wouldn't say I was offended with God, but I was disappointed. Hmm. I loved him, worshiped him. I'd read the word, but I was sort of, there's a pocket in my soul where I was hurt. I was just hmm. so hurt. And so when Alan had said that, you know, how long will you waver between two opinions? It, it just took all of my strength to get through the interview. And as soon as I was done, I went face down and wept and sobbed and repented. And I thought of Elijah when he, at Mount Carmel, when he called all of God's people together, going, how long are you going to waver? You know, if hmm. God is called, serve him. But if not, go serve your small G God, but decide, yeah. you know. Yeah. And then in James, it's like, if you want wisdom, ask for it. But don't waver. Don't be double-minded because you're not yeah. going to get anything from God that way. And I thought, you know what? There have been promises he's made very clearly to me. And uh, there are things that he's established about his character very clearly in scripture. And as I was on my face begging for forgiveness, going, I don't know how to do this healing. I, I, I want to be all in, but I'm terrified of leaning in and falling down and having something much worse happen. I, I'm trying to find my footing here and I want to be biblical about it, yeah. Lord, you know. And he he brought me to the passage where John the Baptist, you know, no greater man born a woman, Jesus said. You know, he he baptized Jesus. I mean, yeah. think about it. He, he was yeah. his cousin. He was the <laughs> first one to respond to the Spirit of God because he left in his own mother's womb. Right. Mary came, right? So right. He, anybody's in the know, I mean, right. it's John. But then when he's out away from the action in obscurity, he's in prison, he starts to doubt. Hmm. You know, and I think that should bring us some great comfort that yeah. when you are away from the action, when you're in a season of testing or whatever, um, it, it's, it's, you're, you're normal, you know, it's normal yeah. to go, did I hear this right? Because that's the enemy's deepest hope is to get you to go, you sure? You sure? Yeah. Is that what he said? Hmm. And that's what he wondered. So he sent his friends to ask Jesus, are you the Christ or should we look for someone else? And Jesus responds with so full of conviction and compassion, you know, tell John, that the, that the blind see, the lame hmm. leap, the deaf, you know, get their hearing back or whatever. That's my paraphrase. But he said, blessed are those 
who are not offended with me. Mm-hmm. And it, it, what I realized in that moment as I was face down is that um, miracles are happening everywhere. Even if they're not happening in front of you, God is mm-hmm. moving throughout the earth. The gospel is moving and changing lives. And there are seasons when we're away from the action. And I think, Aaron, sometimes we need that because we get, we've chased the sensational sometimes mm-hmm. and call it supernatural. Mm-hmm. But I think some of the most supernatural things are happening in the nooks and crannies of life, you know, for yeah. the missionary who gets up another day and yeah. loves and face of fatigue. That's a mirror. That's supernatural. And supernatural right. is contrary to nature. Yeah, so it's Christians good. Are doing it's things good. Contrary to nature all day long, right? Yeah. And uh, so he was saying, you know, the supernatural is happening everywhere, even if you don't see it, but blessed mm. are those who are offended. And, and it, it, what it, it confronted me was that he's the same God. He's yeah. the same yesterday, today, and forever. And just because my eyes don't see it and my body's not experiencing it, he's the same God. But blessed am I if I'm not offended. And yeah. I, I realized that was my work. I hmm. needed to cultivate a tender, teachable heart uh, before the Lord and not accuse him of things he's not guilty of. Hmm. And and I will tell you, a year later, God blew me away with just some of the intervention in my life and some of the inner healing that's happened. And and just one more point about that is that, you know, I interviewed Lee Strobel a bunch of times, but when he talked about the case for miracles in his book, I asked him, because these are documented cases, because and we've been accused as Christians for hyping up and make, calling something a miracle that's not a miracle and all that. And so he found documented cases of verifiable miracles. And I said, did you notice any um, common denominator? And he said, absolutely. He said, each of these people stayed humble, hopeful, and expectant. Like, in other words, they didn't have an offended heart. They kept hmm. themselves position going any day now i'm mm. gonna i'm gonna keep my heart tender before the lord so all of, that's a very long answer but no. i i feel like that is how i put it into practice is to no. know my word is to stay tender humble and and keep his goodness um centered I mean, like it cannot be up for grabs even when my own personal experience at the moment isn't reflecting it because yeah. we pass through the valley of the shadow we don't live there yeah. and uh, it's, those are the places where the enemy gets us to question what we know to be true Oh, and it's, man, that resonates so much. Just specifically, you know, missionaries, you go overseas, you have this idea, this is the way it's going to go. And um, the enemy uses that doubt. And and as you said, I mean, there's been definitely seasons in my life where I've been angry at God and accuses God, this, you brought me here and this is, you brought me here to die. I mean, what, what, what did you bring me here for? And, and so, yeah, it resonates so much. And if he can, the enemy can get us off the track. It's, it's, uh, it's, then we accuse God and doubt him. And I've seen over 20, 21 years, people come with a call and um, get in a place where they, 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 they leave because they begin to doubt everything and, uh, and not choose to trust. So that that really is why soul care is so important. I mean, it really is. So, you know, I think I, I remember seeing a, a meme or something a couple of years ago and the feisty person in me wanted to tackle the person, but anyway, they're like, we got to get off all this soul care and start, uh, making converts and, and yeah. saving Christians or whatever. And I thought, okay, I get where if you individualize your faith too much, yeah. where it's all about me, of course, right. that's, you know, but I have seen too many people sacrifice their soul on the altar of almost a oh, false mark sure. and yeah. call it God. And he's yeah. never going to grind your gears to the point of exhaustion. He yeah. leads you beside still waters. He restores yeah. your soul. Yeah. And as I say in this book, he's well able to restore your soul while the nations are in chaos. But yeah. that's got to be a priority as far as keeping our hearts tender before the Lord. I mean, that is why Scripture says, guard your heart with all diligence, because yeah. life flows from it. And yeah. so enough said about that. But I, I think it's super important, no matter where you live, to, yeah. to pay attention to what's coming up. What, what are the storms bringing up in you? You know, 
And for and the other thing is, I, I say it frequently with, with the people who are planting churches. If you're unhealthy planting a church, you're going to plant an unhealthy church. And so of that DNA, I agree, it can't, Christian life is not all me focused. But if I'm not healthy, it's very hard for me to plant a healthy church or disciple somebody because you're replicating, you know, some of yourself in that person. And if it's unhealthy, it's, it's faulty DNA. And yeah. um, so that, that soul care is super, super important. I just want to pause for 30 seconds in the middle of this episode to share some exciting news about the book I published, A Caring Life, How Each of Us Can Change the Trajectory of an Uncaring World. It's available now on Amazon and audiobook, Kindle, and print form. And the book helps us recognize that our world is moving in a direction of an uncaring life and helps us reorient towards a caring life where those that are in our life feel valued, they feel known, they know that they belong, and they matter. The book, as I said, is, is a valuable resource and I believe will help change the trajectory of an uncaring world. It's available now on Amazon. You talk about intimacy with God and how that impacts how we declare battle. Could you share a little bit more about that? Absolutely, because, you know, there's not a one-size-fits-all battle strategy for each of us, and I would even say for each of our battle. I mean, there are times where you want to run and he's like, nope, you're going to rest. Or you want to rest, he's like, nope, you're going to run. And he's the one who decides not only the battle strategy, but when the battle ends. But hmm. we love to short circuit some of those things because we're so reliant on, you know, we, we let our emotions lead a lot of times. But when I think about, um, you know, this last seven years of intensity, and I, I just watched my friends who had health and wealth and, you know, it just seemed like, and they loved Jesus and were serving him well, but they were doing it feeling well. Hmm. And I, I felt so continually like I have not. And then the Lord kind of brought this revelation to my heart that my engagement has kept my muscles strong because hmm. I wanted ease, like it looked like they were having. And I wanted a break, give me a break, you know, but I, I when it's like the enemy never takes a break. So even when you feel like you, you've kind of tapped out and you, you've decided to go take a break in a way that's maybe pre uh, preempting God's timing for you, your guard is down and the enemy will want will take waste no chances to go after you. Kind of like David, when all kings go to war, he decided mm. to take you know, a self-imposed uh, break and into right. his destruction. And the enemy wants us to be so out of sync with the spirit that we decide, we make our plans, but mm. as you know, that the Lord is the one who should determine our steps. So I just think it's so important to discern what the Lord is saying and stay on his heels. And it was like, I, I can't even explain it, but it was just like this inner knowing, like what did God protect me from by keeping me engaged, kind of the yeah. wax on, wax off. I was using yeah. my shield, using my sword, having to spar, deflect that lie and say yeah. no to that, whatever, um, kept me sharp. And yeah. uh and in the um, book, I talk about this dream that I had, a really vivid dream of this uh, battalion of soldiers. There were several, you know, groups of soldiers. I don't know if I'm using the right terms, but anyway, some, most of them were stationed to the front lines. But mm. this one group was stationed in the in the woods in the middle of nowhere, and they felt like they got this lame assignment. And their assignment was to keep their weapons clean and clear, to spar, to stay sharp, and be ready and mobile for when it's time to move. That was their assignment. And so many of them thought, well, this is kind of lame. We're not fighting. 
fighting, but they did what they were supposed to do for a while until one day a little child, you know, chased her ball into the, and when they, so they started to play with the child and thought this was adorable. Then the mom came and brought some muffins or whatever and said, thank you for taking care of my little girl. And then more and more people from the village came. Pretty soon the soldiers went to their village and they ate with them and were just having a good time, but they were leaving their base camp unguarded hmm. and they were letting their guard down. And then the women had, had said, you know, your, your clothes are so dirty, let us wash them. And so they gave them some of the village clothing. And uh, so they switched over to their clothing. Well, anyway, long story short, they get back to base camp and they kept asking for their armor back. But oh, we'll get to, we'll get it to you. We'll get to you. And when they went back to the base camp, um, it had been um, everything was wiped out. And it, and then it, I don't know if I can't remember. I have to read it because it's been a long time. But like a bomb came or something, but it obliterated the camp. But it was hmm. step by step. They kept making these compromises, thinking, ah, oh, there's no threat. There's no yeah. threat. And I think that's the thing that enemy either wants you to believe there's no threat. So you let your guard down. Or that there's always a threat, so you're in fight flight. Hmm. And I think intimacy with God keeps you out of those extremes, but keeps you sober and alert and alert because he uses either apathy or threat to yeah. get us out of our true battle stance. Because when we are really in our battle stance, you know, no weapon formed us can prosper, no war weapon formed against us can prosper. And we're the ones who then are submitted to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. So hmm. I think discerning a, a wise battle stance is extremely important. Yeah, I want to get the discernment in just a second. I think for me, um, and I think how this book spoke to me is in general in life, I'm a peacemaker. And so I, I, I don't like conflict. I don't like in, in, in the home or with friends or whatever. I do my best to make peace in life and with everyone. And I think this book, and it's been other times in my life, but this book has brought it again. I can't make peace with the enemy. You know what I mean? And so it's I'm in a battle. And so there's not that tendency in my life to say, if I would just do this and this and this, maybe there'd be peace. That's not how he plays. He doesn't play for peace. He plays to take us out. And um, yeah, so that that really, really resonated um, just as me with is God brought that back to my heart and mind is the enemy comes to kill, steal and destroy. And um, it, there's no peace in this thing. So, um, yeah. I was just going to throw that, you know, the book I just finished that comes out next August, I wrote about uh, one of the gals that prayed with me uh, in this healing process for me. I've had some pretty major breakthroughs, I'll tell you. But she said there's a pattern of theft in each of our lives. She hmm. said, you know, she talked about John 10, 10, you know, the thief comes to yeah. steal, kill, and destroy. And she said, if you look back, and I've said this forever, all you have to do is go back to your childhood. For the first times you felt like you were not enough or you were afraid or whatever, you can see the enemy's intent against you. And I often say his threat against you is very connected to your threat against him mm. but she even takes it further to say there's a pattern of theft and and because mm. he's leaving an inroad in your life and making lies very believable so that you really aren't you are making peace with the enemy by your agreement or your right. allowance when he rides in he takes what he wants yeah. and he leaves she said if you don't really know what is fully yours in christ jesus you won't know when it's gone when he's mm. stolen it That's so good. we have to spend so much time understanding what it means to be in christ and to to, to possess all that he possessed for us. And uh, forgive me, I don't remember if I talked about this verse before. I've written about it in a couple of books, but I really camped in strong a battle. And it's James 4, 7, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And I hear that quoted out of context so often where if the enemy is coming against you, just resist them, you know, and yeah. <laughs> but it's submit to God, resist the devil. And submit to God is a military term, and it means get back in rank. And you mm. think of all the ways we get out of rank. Sure. You know, watch when he said, uh, you will have no authority unless you're under authority. Mm. And I think sometimes we presume upon the favor and the protection of God 
without ever checking our attitudes and our hearts before the Lord. We mm. can't do that. So if we are usurping authority, picking apart our pastor, harboring bitterness or unforgiveness or jealousy or discontentment or willfully blatantly sinning, you can't just assume you're going to have God's favor. You're just not. And the enemy is such a legalist that if you are doing that, he will find inroad to you. And it's that's why it's so important when you're under attack to say, Lord, is there anything in me that has yeah. given the enemy a license to get at me? Search yeah. me, God. And if he shows you, as my friend says, if he shows you, repent and then rise up and roar. And if he yeah. doesn't show you anything, just roar, you know? But <laughs> so I love that. God, right? And then yeah. you have authority to resist the devil. And it says he will flee. And it means a couple of things. One is he runs for his life. And two is he looks for another safe place to dwell. Hmm. So I think we have to really think about how often are we giving him safe haven? Uh, hmm. uh, you know, real estate that he doesn't deserve in our lives. And it's why it's so important to be paying attention to, you know, when we're under attack, sometimes God allows like an overplayed enemy attack to show mm. us openings in our lives that we need to shut down. That's good. Good word. You mentioned earlier about discernment. And um, that was one of the questions I, I wanted to ask you about discernment. I, I read a lot. I don't know if I read a book every day like you do. Um, that's a lot of reading. At the same time, I don't read. I haven't found too many people that have addressed the subject of discernment and the importance of um, discernment in our hearts and lives. Can you just share what God's teaching you and has taught you over the years about discernment and the importance of that in in, in battle and in the everyday Christian life? Yeah, you know, first of all, you're so right. There are, there aren't many resources out there on it, yeah. and yet it's such a big question for so for many. Sure. And I'm still certainly wrestling with it, and learning about it. But I think because I've had the the vantage point of crossing denominational lines, both on my radio show and in speaking, I've gotten kind of a front row seat on some of the the bets that different streams have yeah. in judgments and self-righteousness about, right. you know, what well, we have the corner on this and we have the corner on that. And what I've seen that's so painful at times is, is people confusing discernment with preference and bias, where mm. it's like, if I'm not comfortable with that, that's not that's, God. That's and, a good uh, word. Whoa, you know, and what I see so often is, you know, some of these these Christian leaders, and I give them quotes because it's like I feel like they're sowing more discord than anything, but they've got their blacklist of people that are reasons why they're not legit. Because as a radio host, I've got people emailing me all the time. What? You interviewed so-and-so? And it's like, you know who was on that list before? One of these lists was Billy Graham. I'm like, anybody who's putting Billy Graham on a list, I'm like, very reputable, godly people, but right. all from different dreams. And that, I'm telling you, Aaron, if there's one thing I've interceded about powerfully in, the, in my pr private prayer time is God in heaven, forgive mm. us, quote. You know, because these differences are, are preferences so often. And I'd say no matter how long you've walked with God, no matter what stream you've walked in, you hold a Dixie cup and the ocean remains. You know, hmm. he's beyond finding out. And in Ephesians, yeah. it says, his love is so great, you'll never fully understand it. So if we could all admit, hmm. we only see in the glass dimly. We've only tasted the goodness of God. We've only experienced a fraction of his majesty and power. And all you got to do is look through scripture. When God moves in, men get undone. They go hmm. face down. They, whatever they thought they knew, they don't know. They go flat on the ground and going, woe is me, when they see a manifest movement of God. And yet we're so quick to go, oh, they're waving their hands in the air. They're, you know, they're they're yeah. drawing attention to themselves. Yeah. Now, this isn't to say things don't happen in the flesh. They do sure. happen. In, and scripture talks about grieving the spirit and quenching the spirit, you know, quenching the spirit is someone who's so opposed to moves of God that they take like a bucket of water and douse it, you know. Yeah. 
And, and grieving the spirit is what we do when we break God's heart. So mm. the different kinds of discernment that I unpack in that chapter, because the one I think we wield way too often and wrongly is judging everybody else, is trying to discern mm. if it's God and if they're not. And, uh, but there's other kinds of discernment. There's one, there's a form of discernment that's, that we would grow in our capacity to discern ever-increasing matters of, of God, where mm. what we know about him increases because we are so in tune with him and his voice and his word that we're, we're our capacity for him increases, that we would discern, oh, God's moving there. Another form of discernment is that we would be able to judge ourselves, rightly discern our own attitudes and our motives, but you hardly hear anything ever talked about with that. And then again, we go, <laughs> and the third aspect is kind of deciding what's in and what's out. And that one gets wielded so recklessly, you know, on social media. And I know it grieves the Lord's heart. So yeah. I, I would just ask us all to say, Lord, show me if what I've uh, thought to be discernment is just bias and preference. And if that's the case, Help me to put myself in an uncomfortable situation and help me to meet people uh, that think differently than me, that are biblical, solid Christians, but they've experienced something in God that I've not yet understood. And uh, I just think, boy, we might experience a revival in the body of Christ if we could humble ourselves in that regard. The courage to do that. And so I, I think it's, you know, obviously living overseas, a lot of those walls do come down. And so the the nitpicking with each other and and I have been, you know, I, I hosted the men's breakfast and it was cross-denominational and people came that loved Jesus and some people that didn't love Jesus. And but there were people that couldn't believe it, it was just a it was a it was a challenge. Um but does that do you think that discernment comes with maturity or where does that come? Or are we just so uncomfortable with people believing different than we are? Or I don't know if that's making any sense, but you yeah, have the opportunity. Yeah. You have the opportunity, as you said, to speak to many faith leaders from b- many different streams. And um, I'm obviously I, I grew up in a Pentecostal church. I saw the, you know, the flesh and the end. But I've also genuinely seen the move of the spirit. You know, what I mean, so there is the discernment that comes in there. So. Does that make any sense? How do you walk in that courage to be able to not be threatened by somebody that maybe doesn't believe exactly the way you do, but still believes in Jesus, loves Jesus, and is going to heaven? Yeah, that's such a great question. To me, my thoughts are humility and maturity that, you know, I I read a quote, I can't remember where it came from months ago. It said, we must make it our aim to grow up, grow up into childlike wonder, you know? Mm. And so it's it's like not childishness, it's childlike wonder where we're in awe. And, you know, and I think that the Lord asked the Lord, help me to meet people who are in a different stream that I can learn from. And I I remember interviewing one very respected uh, Bible scholar who was in the camp, uh, anti charismatic. And mm-hmm. he, he was a brilliant Bible scholar, but he was parroting the talking points of things that he he realized he was he was throwing the baby out with the bathwater. But you know how he realized that? Was that he was serving at a conference and it, the couple that was assigned to him were charismatics. Mm-hmm. And he said, he goes, and this sounds terrible to say this, but he said, they were awesome. And they were like business owners and high functioning and humble. And I'm like, well, what did you think about you know, <laughs> you, you talk to yourself long enough you you start to, you know you say something strong enough and boldly enough and this is happening across culture you start to think it's true yeah. and he he's a scholar but he said he had partnered with some of these people against charismatics for so long that he had he had felt justified like he was doing a noble righteous thing by dissing and when he met this couple who were just humble and filled with the spirit yeah. and not weird in any way yeah. the holy spirit took him out to the shed 
and yeah. really said, you've been absolutely wrong. And I want you to take each bullet point and compare it to scripture. And he realized every talking point yeah. was dismantled in scripture. And hmm. he came out, basically, he came, yeah. you know, public and said, I'm not saying I'm going to become a charismatic, but I was absolutely wrong about that. And I'm like, wow. the kind of courage it took oh, for you to do. Oh, it takes a ton of courage. Oh, yeah. But that he would meet some very godly, humble people. Yeah. And I think we tend to judge every stream of society on the extreme yeah. weirdos. You know, yeah. but there are so many solid, godly, yeah. good people uh, yeah. that um, that sincerely love Jesus, but happen to land in the lane, you know, that they are. And some people hate it that I travel and they will like pick a lane and stick with it. But I'm like, no, I'm not going to no, because heaven is going to be tribes yeah. and tongues. Right. Yeah. And they're going to be Baptists and evangelicals and charismatics, Calvinists, Arminian. There's going to be some of all of us there. Yeah. And I think we'd be quite surprised at who's not there. So I think <laughs> we can stay humble and teachable and say, yeah. Lord, show me what I don't know. Instead of spending time trying to just, you know, decide who's in and who's out. I mean, how presumptuous is that? I mean, yeah. wasn't it Paul who said, we don't judge anything before the appointed time. And he said, the appointed time is when Jesus returns. Yeah. So I think, man, if we could say, I don't know what I don't know. Show me what I don't know. Yeah. You know? That's that's one of the last questions you mentioned that was teachable. And so you've been walking with Jesus for many, many years. How do you keep that? And you talk about it in, in, in the book, the, the desire to be teachable, even though we've walked, maybe you've walked with Jesus for 30, 40 years, but you still have this desire. You're, you're, you're learning, you're growing in your faith and your understanding. How do we keep those fires burning and continue to be teachable in the importance of, of being in battle and, and, and having that teachability um, in our spirit? Hmm. I don't know if you remember you might be too young to remember this, which makes me sound so much older than you, which I probably am. But you're probably not. not. I'm 45, so you're not that okay. much older than me. You're so kind. But anyway, there was a song many, many years ago. I want to say it was in the um, late 80s, early 90s by Twyla Paris, and it was The Warrior is a Child. And hmm. so she talked about there's these times where you're rushing to the battle and other times you feel like a battered little child and you're rushing to your father's arms. And I think that's what keeps me teachable. Hmm. Is I, that's just true for me. Yeah. There are times when I, I know God is rising up within me and I'm able to face down a Goliath that I never could on my own. But there's other times where I'm blindsided by an attack that I see how fragile I am apart from the spirit of God. And even Jesus wouldn't make a move without the father. And so, you know, and I think that there's a passage and I think it's Romans and it says, keep your spiritual zeal, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction and faithful in prayer. I think we get off on our own when we drift from the word of God, you know, maybe when we maybe read too many books at the expense of the book, right. Yeah. And we're listening to inputs where we kind of shift our weight a little bit on ideas and concepts yeah. uh, that are maybe secondary to what we've read in scripture. But I think the more you read scripture and the more you ask God do the impossible in and through me, that I would submit, this is the sweet spot. When you say, Lord, I have limits, but you have no limits. I have to get to bed on time but you never sleep. You know, I got to take care of my soul, but you're the redeemer of my soul. But in the context of my limits, I'm speaking to a God who has no limits. Do the impossible in and through me. And I think the sweet spot is he He would take us into places and callings that are so far beyond us that they require absolute utter dependence, that we'd be willing mm. to achieve for God things we never otherwise could. And then there's times you get exhausted and you get fatigued and then you follow him. You take the exit ramp and you let him restore your soul. And then you run back out and say, do it again. Lord. And to me, that sweet spot of ebb and flow keeps us so dependent, and that's what keeps us teachable. But I think if you're only trying to achieve things that your giftings allow, and if your goal is to win the praises of man, you'll never really experience the glory of God. And I hmm. just think as 
pursue him. It wasn't Jesus who said, you care about the praise of man. How can you even perceive or care about the glory of God? You know, mm. but when we move into that place. I really feel like the gap widens between how man's opinion affects us and how God affects us. Yeah. And I think the more that we're living into that place, the more tangible eternity becomes. And, and, and you know, we're racing towards it. And so yeah. we want to live ready for that, for Amen. his return. Yeah. Amen. Susie, I always leave our conversations with uh, joy in my heart and encouragement in my spirit. And um, once again today, it's been it's been phenomenal to um, spend some time with you and learn from you once again. Will you pray for us and pray for the audience? And maybe specifically, if you consider praying for those that are listening in that feel like they're in the middle of the battle and um, they just need to hear they just need to hear um, God's voice once again. Absolutely. I'd be honored to do that. Father, we lift up my brother and sister listening today and lift up Aaron. First of all, I pray for Aaron, his marriage, his children, his ministry, his heart, his vision, his joy level. I pray you pour uh, your spirit on him in a fresh new way, quicken his mortal body. I pray, God, that you'd give him and his wife deep sleep at night, that they would dream prophetic dreams and wake up with their heart instructed, that they would know a robust uh, energy during the day and a fresh vision uh, for what it is you're calling them to, protect them from distraction, from discouragement, from anything that would derail them, God, from what you have. And I pray for each person listening today. Lord, would you tend to their broken hearts? God, would you heal their wounds, Lord? God? Would you restore their souls? Would you heal bodies, God? Bring prodigals homes, restore marriages, restore finances. I just get a sense here that some have lost finances either through injustice or somebody else's neglect or whatever. But I, I thank you, God, that you are the provider. And I thank you even for allowing these moments because they remind us that our help comes from you. And Father, forgive us for when we shift our weight onto tangible things we can see and on people we can count on that we're counting on more than we're counting on you. But I pray that for these few that are listening that have had maybe finances that they were counting on didn't come through, that they would joyfully put their trust back in you. You will restore their reserves, Lord. You will restore. Their help comes from you. Their provision comes from you. And Father, for those who are in the battle and under fire, show them their battle strategy. Some are called to tuck themselves under their your wing and to rest. Others are to take up their shield and fight. Others are supposed to gather with like-minded warriors because their arms are tired and others are going to stand in agreement with them and they're going to pray the prayer of agreement. Lord, I pray for each and every person uh, listening today too, that you would show them, I just see like they're a flame, that show them who their fire people are, the people that are on fire, like-minded, and they might not be the, the closest friends they've been walking with lately, but that you want them to be burning brightly with some like-minded believers for the purpose of prayer and intercession. Show them who their prayer people are and may they come to a whole new level of agreement with you, with your word, and may they start to see specific answers to specific prayers. Father, we pray that a revival would spread through Africa. Lord God, do work in that in their day, in our day, that we could only dream about Jesus. May your kingdom come and your will be done. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen.